Andy, I heard you got a new hat. That's right. Uh, I went on vacation with my family a couple weeks ago, as we've referenced several times on this That's podcast. That's true. We're, if you're wondering, we're still continuity. in the future. Or no, now it's the present, <laughs> maybe. Right. Well, sure. Now, well, as you're listening, it's the past, but it is. That's we're, so yeah. true. There is also going to be a little bit of timey fuckery on this episode. but Yeah, um, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll be in the future before you know it. That's right. Um, or I will but, be anyway. Yes. Uh, so we went to Niagara on the Lake, which is where <laughs> I went. I went. I did a solo vacation there last year, uh, and I convinced the whole family to go with me this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw some so- shows at the Shaw Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, walked around town, went to Niagara Falls with the fam, all good. And on that trip, I got a new hat. Uh, it, from the uh, the Irish Design uh, Store. I'm going to try to tilt on my it. headphones so that I can... Yeah, the tag's still on it because I haven't really worn it properly. Sure, it's like a driver's <laughs> But it's cap. like a proper like Irish like cap, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a pretty good look for me. Yeah, what know. what but, amount of your heritage is Irish, do you know? Uh, mostly. Okay. I'm mostly Irish mm-hmm. and English. Is I, Gur- I assume Gurmuga is not an Irish name. Gurmuga is Polish, I believe. That but makes it sense. Is, I, I'm not very Polish, I don't think. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I have to take the tag off. No, I mean, that's similar. I think Weber is German, and I'm not especially German, though I'm yeah. not especially anything. Yeah. But... I think my last name is English. Mm-hmm. Sure. That makes Definitely. sense. Yeah, I can he- I I can hear your last name with an English accent. It also might be easily. there's something that we heard of because uh, we were, when we were living in England where it was like actually is some other thing as well. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You're getting pretty close to Thatcher. Hey, buddy. You think you have any relation? <laughs> Just because you, you about... got this fucking hat on doesn't mean you can grill me. <laughs> Thatcher, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is all getting cut. There's I'm... a consonant sound in common and the vowel sound. Vo- yeah, You're a vowel into the consonant. Close to Thatcher. <laughs> Actually, come on. You're just missing a th. Thatcher. And You're implying that I'm going to be related to Margaret Thatcher? I d- I'm just asking questions. We're all related when you get down to it. That's sure, right. We okay. all have this yeah. share, this share this little, this little crazy blue marble called Earth. Yeah. Yeah, we're all 17th cousins, or, you know, the number's surprisingly low. Yeah. Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Catherine Weber, and I'm joined by Andy Gramuga and Cullen Ashley. Uh, we've got a great episode this week. We've got uh, we've got more festival news as goes this time of year. We're gonna we're gonna talk through some of it now, and then uh, in a little bit, I'm gonna be joined by. Uh, a special, excuse me, a special guest to talk about even more that 
we're not aware of now, uh, hence the the return to the future. Uh, And then we will reconvene in the past, the present, to talk about... uh, this can be the last episode. Of, I was uh, literally about to say, yeah, I, I think vow this to anyone. To end here. <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk about... Uh, if anyone needs a written diagram, just email us and we can provide it. <laughs> email us at andytgerm at gmail.com. <laughs> sure, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're going to get burning down requests. No, it would be, you know, it, we've not we've not gotten a lot of emails. I'd be surprised if this is the thing that does it. Um, but... Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about, uh, it's been a big year for Steven Soderbergh, and one of those projects has played a film festival. Yeah, so we got in, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's start, let's start small. We got uh, a couple pieces of information, uh, I guess one about a festival, uh, that, that's not one we talk about as much, uh, but, uh... Right. That uh, uh, the the London Film Festival will be opening right. with the uh, world premiere of international, uh, international premiere. premiere. Sorry, I I was looking at that and also trying to copy and paste something. The international premiere of Saltburn, which was on the like what's going on with this one kind of mm-hmm. zone. Uh, yeah. There's still a few of those, uh, but. This is one that we got cleared up. There, there's maybe a couple more we can get to later. Uh, but right. that uh, presumably means it will be playing only Telluride and I guess other American festivals. Uh, sure. I guess maybe, I, I think, Fantastic London Fest. London is in October? Yeah, it's, in, October? It, it's like it starts kind of as... NIF is winding down, I think. Right. So, like, it, I, I'm sure, like, it could... Uh, I mean, it can play anywhere after London, but also like uh, uh, Fantastic Fest could be another like. There's a, there's a few other American festivals that start before that it would be in the clear for. Uh, sure, without ruining that precious precious yep, international international premiere. Um, and yeah, so that that is one that we got. Right, uh, and I started putting out like press stills and stuff for that. So yeah. And I think it maybe got a release date last week. And there was also, I think we talked about Barbera was being weird about it and said both that it would premiere at TIFF and that it would play at Telluride. And I said that maybe he doesn't know the difference. Uh, Yeah, perhaps that's been borne out. Um, And then what else did we get? Uh... We we have a couple things that have been announced by TIFF uh, as we're recording now. They announced their closing film. Uh, you know, they had a legend with the, the opening film, Hayao Miyazaki, and uh, the closing film, another legend uh, documentary called Sly about Sylvester Stallone, uh, who is... Uh, as a documentary subject, has no restrictions on attending the festival and promoting sure. this film. Documentaries are not covered by the uh, SAG-AFTRA agreement that is currently yes. being struck. Um, interested to see how much this bears relationship to his Paramount Plus original reality series. Which mm, Colin that's true. Yes, yeah, so I saw the pilot of that. Or not? Yeah, the pilot, there's kind of already a Sylvester Stallone documentary. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, but I guess we're getting another one. Birthday. <laughs> mm. Did he have a nice birthday? It was kind of a small affair. Uh, one of the things good. was that his daughter, Sistine, pranked him by pretending she was pregnant uh, because he was mm. giving her guff about her boyfriend. And uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. at one point, he was sitting out uh, eating pizza with his brother, mm. and then Al Pacino walked by, and they, he was talking to Al Pacino for a little bit. Like he showed up to the party, or he was no, no, like, no, no. out is, on the porch? in the episode. Okay. Oh, okay. Like they were they like at a restaurant and Pacino showed up. Yeah, they were at a up? restaurant. Okay. And, uh, Pacino walks by, sits down. Stallone makes a joke. What do you about think the process was hair. like for getting Pacino to sign a release to appear on this reality show? <laughs> do you uh, think they just shoved a piece of paper at him at the restaurant and he signed it without thinking about it? Or do you yeah, think basically, they had to, like, I don't think he would yeah. care. I think El Pacino's like, oh, yeah, you, you, you know, he saw they were filling and he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to put this on the television? <laughs> All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. I did television once. Yeah. Angels in America. Okay, he did, sure. uh, you know, any number of uh, bad man shows. Or not shows, uh, TV movies T- television for HBO. Movies, yes, <laughs> yes. Phil Spector, uh, Levinson stuff. And yeah. also one one with Mavit. Yeah, is that are those the only two people who directed those? Those three so. movies, I believe so. Two Levinson. It's only and a three. It's I it's Kevorkian, so. Paterno. Yeah, the... you don't. Yeah, you don't know and... Jack Paterno and then Phil Spector. Right, right, the right. One. Yep. Uh, and then they announced the uh, the shortcuts uh, section. Uh, the uh, I guess there. I think last year the only movie in that section that I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Was they had a uh, short film by Sophie Ramvari, uh, a Canadian director, and they have another short film from a Canadian director who uh, Miriam Charles, who had a feature last year that wasn't at TIFF, uh, but called Seti Masson that. Uh, is on Criterion Channel now, I know, and I've very much been meaning to watch. It sounds really oh. interesting. Uh, and then the other one is that uh, continuing the theme of uh, actors making their directorial debuts, uh, Mackenzie Davis has directed oh. a short film that stars Sidsy Babbitt Knudsen of uh, Club Zero, uh, a film that has not been yet made uh, an impact (laughs) on the fall festival scene. That's Uh, true. Well, you know, we're we're still waiting to hear where that North American premiere is going to (laughs) be. I guess notably, like, I had been wondering if uh, any of the Henry Sugars would show up here. Uh, which Noah Anderson, which I it was it wasn't like a huge chance, but I was like, eh, they could try. To yeah, and like I that. don't know. Th- I mean, especially the forty minute one. I don't right. know if it would be here. And then also the the uh, was it after we recorded yes last week? I think maybe or be right before that they announced the the awards to Spike Lee. Yeah, we did. Uh, that did we did mention that on the podcast. I believe the okay. the, uh, the awards for Spike Lee and Almodovar. Uh, and they have not announced uh, yeah. a screening of the Almodovar short yet. Yeah, which is... Uh, although it seems likely they will probably add that somehow. You would think, but yeah, we don't know. Uh, maybe we'll know by the time but this episode is being too. released. Yeah, 
they're they're right. Sony Pictures Classics is doing it again. Oh yeah, yeah. I got uh, I got a press release about they they're all they're like screening it for critics uh, yeah. this month, uh, and I think they I think they said that the the theatrical release is gonna be with the Human Voice, which is like I guess yeah. they like they sure. I, I mean, yeah. I feel like Aaron. they like did that. I, I, I guess a lot that there were fewer like people going to theaters. Release, but it like, was like in the like people were starting to go back zone. Sure. But I don't think it did Bafo Bafo. Sure. sure I'm sure it did. I am just like sure. Sure. I am like I I you know. I thought that was fine. I guess I'd see it again. Sure. Uh, I mean, maybe they'll put it second so people can just see the new one if they. That's what they did with the, uh, or no, it's what they had to not do. I think with the the Godard uh, short film that was showing with a documentary about him that no one cared about. As they usually sure. do the short than the feature, but they had to show the feature first, right. so, so everyone didn't just, just leave. A flood of. <laughs> yeah, after the short film that like turned out to just be like a slideshow, it sounded like, um, you know, maybe that'll be, uh, it, you know, not in shortcuts either, but certainly could make an appearance in uh, in wavelengths or somewhere else. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's what stuck out to me from shortcuts, and then. Uh, we got a big, big uh, announcement uh, this week, which is we got the main slate of the New York Film Festival, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I guess I'll, I, I guess I'll go through the, the couple of highlights of things that are like, oh, I didn't necessarily expect that before. Uh, I do the yearly review of how to read the premiere statuses that New York Film yes. Festival lists. Um, the And we'll get into a lot more movies there. I guess, uh, you know, the, the big thing is that they have the uh, no premiere status listed, uh, but they're screening uh, Janet Planet, the right. Annie Baker film... Uh, that we've been excited about all year. We've been talking about it. Yeah. We, I, I caught wind of it. I feel like uh, just before film stage did, uh, or, or you know, even before that was like I think she made a movie, and then there was a little more. Sure. Uh, and it is a twenty four. We now know from this, uh, we can assume it will be premiering at Telluride. Right. Uh, and yeah, stars Julianne Nicholson as well as uh, a girl who's playing her daughter, and then uh, Sophia Canedo, I had heard, and then Elias Kateas, I do not think I was aware, uh, is also in it. Uh, and Will Patton, who I know was in um, the weird one about the the writer's room, uh, The Antipodes. The, the Antipodes. Uh, yes, which. That plays so cool. Uh, that would have been. I just remember seeing lots of photos, and everyone always had Lacroix. In all yeah, the, it's in all the photos. yeah, it's it's in a writer's room. That yeah, would have yeah, perhaps it's, it's a place been a, drinking Lacroix. Yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> that uh, that no, maybe someone did, but it, it feels like that would have been an obvious thing to try and do on Zoom. Uh, 
sure. during a lockdown. But maybe she didn't want anyone to do that. <laughs> maybe, um, yeah. And they, you know, there certainly are. Uh, it's not like it is a a thing that does not include any interaction between people. But a writer's yeah. room is a national natural sure. thing to try to translate. Maybe that yeah. was people's more thing was like this feels too easy uh, that we're going to sure. get tripped up. Uh, and then the other thing that also I think a day or two before we had uh, gotten a release date for in December is uh, Andrew Hayes' film, yes. uh, another no With, premiere uh, status. Pre- yeah, and, presumably uh, until you're right. Uh, yeah, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal uh, as a couple, and then uh, uh, Claire Foy and Jamie Bell. I did. Sure. I this. It's based on a. Uh, I don't know if I knew that it's based on a Japanese novel from the late '80s, and I uh-huh. there. It, I think there was an adaptation of it oh. produced in Japan. I heard that the actor playing the Jamie Bell role won a bunch of like Japanese sure. Best Supporting Actor awards. Yeah. I know it's high concept. Yes, but I don't it's. Think I want to say what that is on, on the podcast. I'm sure I've said it sure, on the podcast, yeah. but we cannot say it this time. Uh, yeah. You know, if you if you skim through this uh, plot summary, you'll see the word metaphysical. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think I also heard that in the original novel, the Paul Mescal character is a woman, which makes sense that uh, Hay would have changed that. Sure. Um, and then yeah, we got. Uh, I guess I, I guess now I'll do the world the the, the premiere status thing. So the sure. and I misread it in my notes, but so the they have world <laughs> yeah, premieres sometimes. Say. They do not yet, uh, not in the main slate this year, and didn't in the main slate last year either. There were a couple in spotlight uh, in the past. There's often been at least one or two in the galas, but that's not so much been the case in recent years. And then yeah. the next category, I guess, is the North American premiere, which is what the uh, three galas are, and that uh, means that the film is skipping both Telluride and TIFF. Ooh, I made I made these notes really hastily. It means it's skipping both Telluride and TIFF yep. after playing a <laughs> European festival, usually a Cannes or Venice premiere, as these are. Uh, and then the other North American premieres are uh, Eureka, the Lisandro Alonso film uh, that was in Cannes premiere uh, that I'll be excited to see at some point, uh, but not at TIFF. Uh, both Hong films this year. Uh, last year, TIFF just showed the one that they had the world premiere of. This year, I mm-hmm. guess they will be showing neither. Uh, La Practica is a movie that I, both of these last two movies were not at either of those festivals. La Practica is a Berlin film, uh, which there have been other, you know, that's perhaps the next most common. Or no, sorry, The Shadowless Tower. Jeez, I'm tired, I guess. Uh, the Shadowless <laughs> Tower is the Berlin film. Uh, let me just take a moment. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Jesus. <laughs> it premiered in it's competition. We're the future of the past. <laughs> no. Jeez. Uh, uh, directed by Zhang Lu, uh, that premiered in competition at Berlin that 
again, I like her, uh, you know, there was, you know, wasn't a ton of buzz at Berlin this year in general. This was one that sounded interesting. I think it was a director who, like, I looked and, like, he had gone and made movies in uh, Korea for a while that had famous actors in them and has since gone back to uh, China. And this is one of his first few movies back there. And this was his first movie at that got a major uh, festival competition premiere in a while. So it makes sense to also now be at the New York Film Festival. Uh, and then the La Practica is probably less common. Uh, San Sebastian at least is in competition there, and many of the films that are in competition there premiere first at TIFF, uh, but this one will not because it is a North American premiere at uh, New York. And then the... Uh, category that is both next easiest to glean some amount of information from, though not as easy uh, and also more relevant to us, is the U.S. premiere, which generally means that it is playing TIFF uh, and just that it's skipping Telluride, though there are often exceptions. I think last year... Uh, Ennis Man was listed as a U.S. premiere, a couple, the Wiseman film, and I think that can... I, I'm not sure what that most often comes down to, if it's just uh, the communication wasn't good, or if it's... I, I think there maybe aren't uh, can other Canadian festivals that like entirely take place before New York, but I think there's others that are at least concurrent, like uh, Vancouver definitely runs partially right. at the same time that like to be safe because schedules are not locked in at this point. They're just like, we know we got the US premiere, so that's what we're saying. Sure. Uh, so not all of these movies are necessarily playing TIFF, but many of them are, and some of them were already announced, which I don't need to, you know, Benello and Bellocchio and Brayat all make sense. Uh, Close Your Eyes, the Victor Arise film. I guess good to see him not get uh, snubbed by a major birth like uh, he was at Cannes. I did hear that there maybe was some editing going on over the summer. I heard that the, it was like not available to some of the Cannes movies usually screen at other European festivals during the summer. I heard it was not available for that. Uh, and I know he's had issues with edits before, so hopefully uh, it's not an issue of it being taken away from him. Uh, the Delinquents, which I've talked about, I love that movie, uh, uh, an Argentinian film that if you're in New York or anywhere else it's showing, I would recommend prioritizing despite the uh, the intimidating runtime. Uh, another intimidating runtime, Radu Jude's film, Do Not Expect Too Much from the End of the World, premiered earlier this week at Locarno, uh, is getting raves. People are very excited about it. Yeah. Um, awesome I'm very trailer. excited, too. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've only seen Bad Luck Bang. I do want it before I see this mm -hmm. movie. Go back and try and watch at What's least. What's the runtime uh, of the new one? Huh? You said this one also it's, has oh, a... It, yeah, it's like 160-something. Wow. Uh, a director who has had intimidating runtimes. We've heard sure. this one does not. Uh, Risky Hamaguchi's new film. 
uh, would be another one I'd be very excited to see in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, Green Border is a uh, got drafted last week in our Venice draft. Yes. Uh, Agnieszka Holland's film. Uh, someone took it. Who was it? You. You remember? Yes. Uh, I was going to say who could say. I was a little interested to hear this just because I uh, was under the impression that uh, she had. You know, she's been around for a long time, and I think was. Very, I, I looked up, was like very intermittently in the main slate uh, earlier in her career, and then I think had been a little more recently in recent years, because uh, she's a favorite of uh, Amy Talbins, who was on the selection committee for like a lot of the 2010s. Uh, so interesting that the sort, you know, it, it's pretty much, an, it, it's a mostly new group. Uh, especially at this point. Like, I think Dennis Lim was, you know, who is now at the head, was involved in Florence Almanzini now. Uh, They're on the committee and kind of are uh, still around, though I don't know if they were explicitly on the main slate committee for, like, that kind of Kent Jones era. But then uh, it's now K. Austin Collins and Justin Chang, and I'm blanking on who the fifth person on that committee is. Uh especially with Eugene Hernandez now gone, which it is, like, uh, I guess it's the galas that, like, f- feel different than last year. It's, like, maybe this is the the full limb experience as opposed to just Hernandez, uh, but we'll see more. I uh, from Eugene a week or two ago, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And I think in the, yeah, the Can I Kick It inbox, uh, it had no real, like real information. In it, I don't think. No, yeah. I he, feel it was like his list of cool time... names. Yeah, That's I right. think he, he... Said this list of cool names. But he's yeah, late, I feel so like he was like, I love living in Utah, or it w- was one of the the themes sure, of that know. email. I feel like. Sure. Um, here, a movie that. Uh, some of us have seen another one that's very good. Uh, That's right. We talked about it. Yep. Music, another Berlin movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, who's someone who I definitely expected at Toronto. I think she's had a, a very good relationship with them, despite the story sure. that I won't tell for the mm-hmm. 15th time about the q and I was at. Uh, and then I guess the, the other sort of, uh, uh, I feel like, big uh, feature of this sort of era of New York is that there have consistently been some documentaries in the main slate uh, and we've got, I think it's just two that are both in this U.S. premiere category, which is uh, two can movies, which is maybe not where it's been drawn from, though. One of these is the first uh, documentary that was in can competition in a while, which is Youth Spring, the Wong Bing film, which I have heard from people, you know, I haven't. He's someone who I have known of for a while, like he had an eight hour long movie at TIFF the first year we went. Uh, and has, you know, had like uh, Tai Chi Chu is a movie that he made in the early 2000s that's like considered one of the canonical documentaries of the century. Uh, but th- this was his first movie in Cannes competition. I do feel like I've heard people be like, not only is this not one of my favorite movies of his, it's not my favorite movie of his that premiered at Cannes this year. Because mm-hmm. uh, he had uh, one that 
Uh, this one is like three and a half hours, but he had an hour-long film called Man in Black that I would not be surprised to see in Currents. Uh, maybe even the the opening kind of that's become a prestigious slot. Uh, but yeah, that and then Pictures of Ghosts, Claver uh, Mendonça Filio's documentary that was either a special screening or out of competition at Cannes uh, that. I didn't hear a ton about, but I feel like since doing like a little more digging about Can in the last few months, feel like I, I definitely felt some people saw some people who seem to feel that it's like in the uh, same sort of you know maybe I still can't talk uh, makes sense to be talked about in the same sort of way that his uh, fiction films are uh, that it's not like a a fiction filmmaker kind of being like, oh, I'll toss off a documentary too. Um, which you would hope uh, having in this slot. And then, yeah, uh, no premiere status, uh, which there, there's more movies, uh, and I don't know if anyone wants to mention anything else, uh, can mean a bajillion things and doesn't say anything about Tiff or Telluride, or, you know, doesn't really tell us anything. I guess Poor Things is the other interesting one in that, that a month ago it would have been out before the festival started. Um, oh, I guess there's, uh, there's one more documentary that I didn't know. That's another movie I've seen, uh, Orlando, my political biography, uh, Paul B. Preciado's, uh, debut as a director, uh, who's a writer. I know I mentioned that I, I mean, it's not like a movie that I love, but I do think is cool to see placed in this context and I guess I'm not surprised given that uh Berlin movies do sometimes play new directors new films and this one didn't uh so yeah that's cool and then yeah it's just like it's what the main slate always is of just like a bunch of big world cinema directors I guess there's like uh like it's interesting that Scorsese is in in here I've would make sense in Spotlight, but I've also heard that movie's maybe just not doing any more festivals. Right. It's, I mean, it, it's like starting its theatrical rollout, I think, during... Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, I'm sure they would love to have a, a Scorsese Q&A, but maybe not in the cards. Uh, Fincher also has had a good relationship with the festival in the past, so there's... You know, it is like thinking about those being people who maybe would have been obvious to give gala slots to. It is like... Yeah. Uh, do they have any Netflix stuff? Do they have any Netflix stuff? Maybe not. I don't think they've um, No, May, December's Netflix. Oh, sure, of course. Because, uh, yeah, what I would say is that, like, this does feel like... It feels like... It, it does work as, like, a mission statement. That the, Just those gala slots I was thinking about, like... Uh, thinking about like oh you could have had Scorsese it is like I feel like Todd Haynes and Sofia Coppola are like as good people as any of that next generation to be like these are like icons of directing uh, and then man is just like a cool person of like I don't think has ever been in the main slate but is someone who 
uh, is of that older director, uh, next generation of cinephiles, a lot of those people feel strongly about him out of that older group of sort of legendary directors. So it's a cool trio in that way, I feel like. Yeah. Do we have anything more on New York? I don't think so. All right. Uh, oh, and the, I, I guess the other thing is that they, they're nestled at the bottom of this. They have something about uh, an Agnes Varda short film that also involves Pasolini. Yes. Uh, that was discovered last year that's making its North American premiere. Uh, that will play with Pictures of Ghosts and La Chimera, the Alicia Rohrbacher film. Uh, that I, I guess must have played in France. Oh, it actually, it says that it was filmed when the two of them were in town for the fourth New York Film Festival. Uh, but then, yeah, I guess if we, you know, we, we, we might even, I, I might come back in after this to talk about a little more TIFF stuff, but, uh, before we get to Steven Soderbergh, uh, tomorrow I am going to talk to uh, Jesse Cumming, who is uh, new, uh, you know, I- I've seen around it, TIFF, uh, like at Wavelength Screenings, uh, but I think was newly minted this year as an associate curator uh, for Wavelengths. Uh, and we will be talking about that section, uh, which will... Uh, be announced as this episode is being released. Uh, So I will now take you to that conversation. All right. I am now joined by Jesse Cumming, the Associate Curator of Wavelengths at TIFF. Uh, Thank you for making some time to talk to me, Jesse. Thanks so much for the interest in the program. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to start off just generally asking how you think about the sort of uh, mandate of the Wavelengths program. I think a lot of people think about it in terms of the avant-garde or the experimental, but those are terms that are defined pretty loosely in film culture. Uh, So are there more sort of ways that you actually drive how you think about what movies you're looking for? And are there movies this year that sort of illustrate that? Yeah, that's a great question. I know Andrea, my colleague and the senior curator for the program have somewhat of a complicated relationship with the terms avant-garde and experimental. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the filmmakers in the program sometimes do as well. Um, And I know that she and I are people who watch a lot of movies and we're really looking for just something that sparks us and excites us and really tries to push things in different directions. Um, And so a lot of times this happens not strictly in the traditional realms of what we consider experimental film, but the fringes of documentary, uh, the fringes of art house filmmaking. Um, we really don't think that there has to be a lot of these traditional generic markers uh, around the sort of program. I think the one film that has Andrea and I particularly excited is uh, The Human Surge 3 by uh, Argentinian filmmaker Eduardo Williams, whose debut feature, The Human Surge, showed in wavelengths a couple years ago. Um, And he's a filmmaker that is very much interested in pushing technology and the way we see and the way we understand the world to its absolute limits. And this film is perhaps the most traditionally experimental film in a way that it's 
experimenting as much as possible and pushing the limits of representation, having shot with a 360 degree camera, the type used for VR, which is then retrofitted for the cinema. It's unlike anything you've ever seen. Um, and so we have things like this, but then we also have something like Membar Pierrette, which is the debut narrative film by Rosima Bakam, who's a Cameroonian documentary filmmaker. And this is her debut narrative feature. And on first glance, it might not seem like a traditional wavelengths film. It's, it's a narrative. Um, she's working with non-professionals. The, the lead is actually her cousin. But there's a shared sensibility and a real sort of uh, attuned sense to textures, to light, to, to space, to sound that, you know, we see in all of the greatest, uh, what we consider to be traditional avant-garde. Mm -hmm. uh, so another thing that I think is always cool about Wavelengths is that it is the program with the most flexibility at the festival, just in terms of what a program looks like. You have both the uh, just single features that you see in most of the festival and then some programs of shorts like you would see in shortcuts, but then also uh, you have to figure out ways to deal with mid-length films sometimes or show shorts with features that are on the shorter side. Uh, how did you approach that particular challenge this year? Yeah, it's it's always a challenge, uh, but we like it and we like the diversity. I think Wavelengths has definitely the shortest film in the festival. It's 90 seconds long. Uh, there's a number of 90 second shorts by Philip Fleischmann, an Austrian filmmaker. And at the same time, we have a 212 minute long film by Wang Bing. So we really run the gamut. Um, but we have a lot of faith and a lot of belief in the value of the mid-length film. And we really want to try and carve out space for it. And it can always be a challenge because it really has to uh, land harmoniously and be able to fit alongside another medium length film or a short film that really speaks to it. But uh, we really value the work that's of the highest caliber. And so if there's a mid-length film that we see and we think is really exceptional, we do everything we can to, to find the right place for it and to position it uh, as meaningfully as possible. Um, let's see. Uh, one thing that we just heard about this morning as Centerpiece was announced is this new designation of, uh, luminaries, uh, which, uh, I, I saw is also going to apply to some of the films in Wavelengths. How did that, uh, come about and what are some of those that we can expect to see in Wavelengths? So Luminaries kind of emerged when the festival retired the master's program. And uh, we wanted to be able to spotlight some of the most important filmmakers work today that have their film in the festival and just let people know that this is a uh, work of a major filmmaker. And we're really happy to have a couple of them in the in the Wavelengths program this year. One of them is uh, Music by Angela Schanelek, a brilliant German filmmaker whose last film was called I Was Born But uh, and showed in the master's section of the festival. Uh, she was also previously in Wavelengths with a film called The Dreamed Path. Uh, and this film screened in competition at the Berlinale in February, and it's absolutely masterful work, incredibly precise. Uh, really, she's a filmmaker who has her own cadence, her own film language, and uh, truly is a luminary in every sense of the word. Similarly, uh, the Wang Bing film I mentioned called Youth Spring also has earned the, the luminary tag this year, and we're really pleased to have that. 
the festival supported uh, director Wang's work for a number of years, and he's one of the truly, truly great documentarians working today. So this is a real privilege and an honor to include that in the program as well. Um, it's unofficial, but one of the shorts programs this year is called Outlines, Ackerman Costa uh, Godard, which has a short film suite by Chantal Ackerman, by uh, a short, the new film by Pedro Costa, and the last film directed by the great Jean-Luc Godard. And it's not officially tagged as part of the Luminaries program, but uh, we've been kind of internally considering it the sort of the Wavelengths Luminary Shorts program, because it's three of the most important filmmakers um, and two of them have passed away and just sort of our sort of tribute to them. So we're really happy to have those uh, as part of the program as well. I think some of the highlights of Wavelengths last year were Canadian films, which was exciting to see both uh, good Canadian films, but also Canadian films that fit really well into the program. Uh, what are the Canadian films in the program this year? Yeah, that's a great question. So one program that we're pleased to have is a pairing of, of two Toronto artists. Um, one of them is the, the new feature-length film by director Isaiah Medina. We have the world premiere. It's a film called He Thought He Died, which is a brilliant, beautiful film um, that was partly commissioned by the Agnes Etherton Art Center in um, Kingston. And it's about the filmmaker Isaiah, who plays a painter, who in a sort of deconstructed, very cerebral, intellectual take on the heist film tries to steal his paintings back from the art gallery, but it's only ever seen from the, uh, the holding cells of the, uh, of the art storage, lo storage locker, that is, um, alongside discussions of the art, questions of commerce, questions of representation. It's really, really sly, made uh, with a sort of a small scale budget, but he really has a signature voice and a signature style, and we're super pleased to, to promote it. And it's, it's screening alongside a new film by filmmaker Blake Williams, who's shown his films, short films a number of times and also his feature length film called Prototype a couple years ago. And this is his latest film. As with his other films, he's working again in 3D, uh, this time shooting partly between Toronto and also uh, a labyrinth in Barcelona. And so both of these films are about sort of trying to just recover lost treasures hidden at the inside of whether a labyrinth or an institution. And they speak well to each other and it'll be really nice to, to have these sort of local heroes on stage at the same time. Um, another Canadian film that we're pleased to have in the program is a new short film by a legendary video artist, Steve Reinke, um, who has been making work for many, many years, but it's gonna be the first time that he's shown as part of Wavelengths. And so this film, Sundown, will show in Wavelengths too, and we're really, really pleased to have that as part of the program. Cool. Uh, I think going, you know, when you look at wavelengths historically you can you can kind of see patterns of what the other sort of festivals and programs that uh there's sort of some level of affinity with that uh have often shared films and i think some of those especially directors Fortnite, which i know a lot of films came from last year uh have got, undergone a pretty major transformation in the last year. Is that something that not necessarily directly affects how you program the section, but that 
uh, maybe gives new opportunities to look at things in different ways? Yeah, I mean, there are always a lot of festivals that we keep an eye on, and sometimes there can be ebbs and flows when uh, the the directions of festivals change. We're really pleased to have a number of films from Directors Fortnite this year. Um, Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell by Pham Tian An, which won the Camera d'Or for Best Debut. And the Membar Pierrette, which I mentioned before by Rosim Bakam, is also coming from the Directors Fortnite. Um, the past couple years, we've found we've had a very strong affinity with a festival like uh, Open City Documentary Festival in London. And we've sh shared a lot of films and guests with them. They, they take place around the same time. So we're often coordinating travel uh, of filmmakers. This year we have Miko Rivereza, whose film will show as the opening night of Open City, and then he'll come to Toronto afterwards. The film is called Nowhere Near. Last year, we had uh, Horse Opera by Moira Davey, and she traveled to Open City directly after. Um, there's also a couple of short films that we're showing that, that uh, Open City is showing as well. So it's really nice to kind of have this sort of shared affinity with different colleagues around the world, um, all around it. And you know, that can change from time to time, but it's, it's really meaningful. Uh, let's see, are, are there other highlights of the section that weren't uh, sparked by anything I've asked so far? Well, I mean, I just want to mention that um, for all that uh, Andrea and I put a lot of uh, time and care into the program, uh, a lot of our colleagues from the other programming strands at TIFF also contribute mm -hmm. to the festival and contribute to Wavelengths. And so I really want to shout them out because without them, um, it would be a much smaller program. And so to have our colleagues who support this kind of work and really care, uh, it means a lot. So some of the film, a lot of the films I mentioned, like the Wang Bing film, uh, Youth Spring, was programmed by our colleague Giovanna Fulvi. Um, the latest film by Denis Coté, another Canadian film that I've neglected to mention, Mademoiselle Kenopsia, was programmed by our colleague Norm Wilner. Um, a personal favorite of mine is called Here by Bas Devos, mm -hmm. um, which comes from, from uh, Belgium and was a big winner at the Berlinale this year as well. Um, we're super thrilled to have all these films in the program, and it wouldn't be possible without our other colleagues, so we don't want to take too much credit. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much, and I will look forward to seeing many of these films and talking about them in the coming months. Thank you so much, Jesse. I really do appreciate it. Hello, this is Jesse Catherine Weber again, solo now to just uh, provide a little bit of follow-up and background to that conversation you just heard. I alluded to the announcement of the Centerpiece program this morning, as well as the uh, designation of luminaries, uh, which the other Jesse talked about a little bit. Uh, and in that section, we had uh, about dried grasses and fallen leaves, uh, two count competition titles, Close Your Eyes, the Victor Arise film from Cannes Premiere, as well as Green Border, the Agnieszka Holland from... Uh, can uh venice competition uh and there is of course uh a number of other things uh banala nadama another can competition title the debut film from ramata tulesi um you know it's a large section i'm sure things that we'll get to 
or not at some point. Uh, Perfect Days, another can competition title. Uh, Shadow of Fire, uh, Shinya Sukamoto, uh, the director of Tetsuo the Iron Man that is premiering uh, in Orizanti at Venice, which is an interesting place for that to premiere. Uh, Snow Leopard, another Venice premiere, uh, the posthumous film of uh, from Pemet Sedin. The feeling that the time for doing something has passed by Joanna Arnau. The Delinquents, the Rodrigo Moreno movie I mentioned also in the New York Film Festival main slate that I quite like. Uh, and yeah, speaking of those main slate things, I do think all of them that I mentioned uh, that are U.S. premieres are either in that centerpiece section or the three wavelengths features that uh, Jesse did not mention in that conversation, which are uh, the aforementioned by me on this episode, uh, Do Not Expect Too Much from the End of the World by Radu Jude, Orlando, My Political Biography, another movie I have seen, and uh, Inside the Yellow Cocoon Shell, a third movie I've seen, and another quite long one. We then, yeah, there, there's three wavelengths prog uh, shorts programs, including the uh, the one with the Ackerman and the Kosta and the Godard. The, the little more detail we have on what exactly we'll be seeing from Chantal Ackerman is that it looks like it is newly uncovered, very early work. Uh, the title is Chantal Ackerman, her first look behind the camera, which sounds like it would maybe be a documentary about her, uh, but is credited to her as director, so I assume is a very minimally, you know, just put together uh, work of hers rather than edited in any particular way. Uh, and then, yeah, the uh, the two others... Uh, one, uh, Wavelengths 2 is subtitled Sundown after the Steve Renke film that was mentioned. Uh, and the first one is titled uh, Quiet as It's Kept after a film by Jatovia Gary. Uh, that first program includes the, uh, the Philip Fleischman shorts, film sculpture 1, 2, 4, and 3. Uh, another, uh, piece in the series, uh, Rose Louder's bouquets 31 through 40. Uh, there are, there's a 1 through 10 and that I will try to seek out. Uh, short from Simon Liu, Joshua Jen Salons in that second program. Uh, and then we also now have, uh, the Can Classics pro- or not Can Classics, uh, that is what they call their program of restorations, uh, but TIFF Classics, which I believe is a change from TIFF Cinematheque, is what it was called at least last year, uh, which will feature, uh, one of the things it will feature is something that premiered at Can Classics, uh, which is the restoration of... La Morfou, the Jacques Rivette film, uh, which I've always heard is a good place to start with Rivette. It's it's uh, after 
Le Religieux, which is a Dennis Diderot adaptation that I think was also fairly recently restored. Uh, but this one, La Morfou, another very long film, uh, close to four, maybe even more than four hours, uh, but one that is kind of the point at which he was considered, uh, at which a lot of people cite as like him sort of fully formed arriving. It's what comes right before Out One uh, and was only available in like really, really uh, degraded form up until the can premiere of this restoration. Uh, and then we also have uh, Farewell My Concubine, uh, Chen Kaige, uh, Tukibuki, quite famous film by Gibral Diop Mambeti, which I believe is uh, a 50th anniversary. Uh, Zala, which is a film by Usmani Semban, another two Senegalese directors, uh, though that is not a film of Semban's I've heard of. And then a documentary called Artie Shaw, Time is All You've Got by Brigitte Berman. Uh, so yeah, this is, I would imagine, a pretty, like, if not everything, because uh, there were a few additions to other sections this morning that we maybe will get to next week. There could perhaps be a few more special presentations, galas, last second. There's, uh, we haven't had prime time yet. There could be a few more big things. There'll be the conversations. Uh, but yeah, th this feels like pretty close to what the full lineup is going to look like. And also, uh, I, you know, I'm quite excited at this point. This to me feels closer to the level of the earlier festivals that I went to in 2018 and 19 just in terms of like the amount of stuff that I really want to see like it feels like there will be more stuff last than last year that like I would really like to see and will not get to uh, which you know it's good to have more options uh, that that I I mean that much more is a good thing than a bad thing even though it just will make scheduling more challenging but yeah, I think we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk, we'll, next time we talk about TIFF, we will have a schedule, we should have, a, you know, there could maybe be a very late announcement, but once that schedule comes out, you pretty much uh, have everything, so we should have a complete idea uh, by the next time we uh, record Certainly a news segment, if not just record it all. Uh, so, until then, uh, I'll return you to the past. It's maybe a good thing that we uh, kept that bit for this week, because it's perhaps most applicable, but also good that we are retiring it, because it is bad and confusing. All right. And we are back where we have temporarily shifted again. We're not going to attempt to state in which direction 
And yes. we're going to talk the Berg. That's right. We're, uh, we've gone through the washing machine. And now we're back in our original timeline. Uh, yeah, so Steven Soderbergh, uh, he, you know, we, we've we talked about him a few times. You know, we've talked, uh, we we talked, talked about Sex, Lies, and Videotape back in the day. Yeah, we, No uh, Sudden Move. No Sudden Move, yeah. Um, and uh, Let Them All Talk famously won the Palm Let Dolly the talk. second year. Yeah, there's a yeah. full-ass full commentary on that movie you can listen to. We love the guy, um, of course. Yeah. He's great. Uh, always worth checking out. I think it's so he's someone we all make a point of. Although it took me a weirdly long time to see uh, Kimmy. Um, I didn't yeah, see that one the until the December. I but like I like Kimmy. I like that movie. Uh, I thought it was nine. I guess a I did. I thriller. Yeah, I saw it relatively quickly, but not super quickly. I think it's yeah, my favorite movie of his last three movies. I think I don't know what anyway. that means. So sure. not. His, I'm and, sure I could figure it out. Sure, I just yeah. don't offhand remember. Yeah, sure. His best movie since the Laundromat, I guess, um, including uh, Let Them All Talk. Or no, not no. Yes. Since Let Them All since Talk. Since Let Them All Talk is what okay. I, mean. I have the Laundromat on 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 the brain because there's. I feel like there's a lot of Laundromat ties in in a couple in at least a couple of these movies. I never caught that one. I guess there is a a lot yeah. some laundering that very literally happens. Excuse sure. me. In one of them, yeah. Um, um, but yeah. So earlier this year, he had uh, Magic Mike's Last Dance. Yep, uh, which mm-hmm. was a February release. It had originally been slated as a Max original, but yep. then when David Zaslav came in, he said, "We're not doing straight to Max movies anymore." Uh, HBO. He Max didn't. It wasn't. He said, "We're not doing straight to HBO Max movies anymore." Right. That's what yes. it was called at the time. That's right. That's what he said. <laughs> Uh, so they put it in theaters. I think it did like fine. I don't think it did like spectacularly well or anything. Yeah. But, um, uh, and I guess it, it sort of got, I would say the reaction was like a little humdrum. People were like, it's not, I mean, people are very high on XXL. Um, yeah. and it was not, people did not receive this one in the same way that they received yeah. XXL. And I feel like Magic uh, Mike is also is like... Sure, I feel like a lot of people are like, eh, that's fine, it's towards the middle or bottom of his filmography for a lot of people. And so I feel like this was just kind of back around there. Yeah. Um, And then at the same time that that was coming out, there were rumblings about he was also filming a series for for, uh, then HBO Max. At the time, he was shooting it in, you know, New York City with all these, these big actors, as he is wont to do. Uh, you always hear the, like, oh, he's shooting it very quickly sort of thing, yeah. which is his <clears throat> signature. Sure. Um, uh, is a, a, a reunited, uh, nighting with Ed Solomon, um, mm-hmm. who, uh, had written Mosaic, um, uh, and I think at least one other, he had written No Sudden Move also. That was the other one he wrote, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and that, and that came out, uh, they, they, uh, Max, it started, uh, or it had a Telluride premiere, just the first two episodes. Tribeca. Uh, not Telluride, Tribeca. I'm, I'm so glad I'm not I'm, the only person yeah, who's <laughs> misnamed a film I'm, festival Yeah, yeah, now. yep, 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 yep. Uh, a Tribeca premiere, just those two first two episodes, um, and then uh, they rolled it out uh, two episodes a week on Thursday. Very strange. Yeah. Well, Max Thursdays is the Max original day. I more um, mean the six episodes sure, the, the two, two at a time. E- right, the two episodes a week. Yeah. Especially 
in these uh, soon-to-be bare cupboards era, era well, sure. of uh, content. Yes. Uh, as these strikes continue, it's a little bit bad. I mean, it was I probably they... late to pivot, but just, like, the sure. fact that there were only six of them and they did two at a time right. is, like... I, I guess there was maybe the feeling that, like, oh, like, you need to watch the first two to, like buy in and then sure and then they were like if we if this takes a month and a half to come out people will have forgotten what was happening halfway through um yeah and i would say it 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 again got kind of like mixed positive reviews i I think think so it didn't Uh, get a lot of attention no didn't get a ton of attention it has a lot of people i mean all fans popping right now because he's also got his justified revival happening. Of course, um, I think I had a dream that I was watching the pilot of a TV show that he was in recently. Sure. Uh, Jerome, um, Jerome is also in uh, the Boots Riley show right now. Uh huh. Oh sure, of I'm a Virgo, I believe is what it's called. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then this right. was the real kicker. Yeah. The thing that no one knew about. Yeah. I don't think there it wasn't was, yeah. even any it rumblings. Was, well, so. I, I think I I think at the same time as there started being rumblings of uh full circle, there was also Anti has two other projects that are coming soon, uh that have that have scripts, one of which is a comedy and one of which is horror, and I think someone asked him, So is this the comedy that we're about to talk about? And he said no, that's a different thing. There's still other right. two other imminent things. Uh, yes. I don't. I don't think either of those have shot yet. But that, right? At least I'm, one and, he's hoping right. to shoot by the end of the year. It sounds like. Crazy but yeah, fish. I believe the we'll timeline see. is that those first two episodes come out on Thursday, and then the yeah, next day, right, yeah. there's this weird. I think I got it, and it also started coming out. Uh, slightly I, yeah, more formally. I also was on the press list. Yeah, for this. I it's like this email. weird email that clearly was written by Steven Soderbergh, but it's like uh, our boss made this weird fucking thing. We don't know what it is. It's showing we up on the website on Monday. Yeah, so two days, you know, at, before the next episodes of uh, Full okay. Circle have come out, there will be a different. Soderbergh thing, uh, which then screened all at once at the Metrograph that weekend. Uh, Though, uh, and there was, uh, he was there, but seemed much more interested in talking to uh, Representative Maxwell Frost, who he had there with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is Command Z, a eight episode, roughly 90 minute total uh, web series. Yes, yeah. it. Uh, yeah. You know, I guess uh, Andy is not finished, and we said we would go into less detail. But the, I will say one interesting thing is that the there are no credits until the end of the last episode. Yeah, that's right. I right. I had noticed. Yeah, you've that seen and... no credits. I was well, like, right. are and they the, coming, then, or is he just? Yeah. He has to have them, right? And they, right. they, he does have them at the end of the last episode. Yeah. But it and is... I remembered in our email had included press notes. So I had, like, pulled up the PDF of the press notes <laughs> to be able to look at, like, who wrote That's what episode funny. and what the, that I had been watching. I didn't think uh, of that. There is, like, there they do the go, episodes. they do have all of that in the credits of, like, this person wrote this episode. Yeah. Uh, um, but, yeah, the, there was, he did the AMA on Reddit recently also, where he was, like, right. 
He's Someone, doing uh, a lot of promotion for Command Z specifically. Yes, like, he's out there. Yes, which uh, is a you know, which yeah. makes sense as it is yep. the yes, thing that does not have a marketing yeah. department behind yep. it. Well, yeah, self-produced it? and self-distributed. Yeah, it's eight dollars. Eight dollars on his website extension. Um, it, I, I th- yeah, you can get to it through the that website extension whatever 72? number. Something it's wherever he posts. It's I, where I he th- posts his media diary. But I, yeah. it, it, that's. But I think you do just go to like commandzseries.com. Yeah, it's like command or Z, something. Uh, it is yes, commandzseries.com. Yes, that's and what it uh, is. it's the the money's going to some organization, correct? It's two organizations. Yeah, it's the some colleges center for anti racist research, and then uh, what's the other one? Oh, it's about uh, helping people uh, run for office, I think, is the other one. Mm. Uh, an organization that just, like, helps regular people figure out what office they might be able to Do run something. for in order to make a difference. Uh, get yeah. You know, various ways of getting involved with local government. Yeah. And, like, helping to support candidates uh, who are doing that as well. Yes. Um... um. There was, but in this in this AMA he did, he was talking mm-hmm. about um, that they had an entirely different version of Command Z, where yeah. they had filmed all these TikToks, and uh, he like realized that it didn't work that way, and they like they weren't really they didn't speak the same language as TikTok, like they were it seemed fake, it, it wasn't what they wanted, yeah. So they he was like, "There's it. no way this will go viral or whatever." Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was and, just and, like, uh, "I don't understand how, how, or I, you know, I, I don't like feel equipped to yes, well, work yeah, with that yeah. film grammar." He, I think it was maybe in the interview that uh, he did with uh, our friend J. Kim Murphy, where he said that uh, when, some of that stuff that is like popping up on the screen, like when you see Mike Birbiglia, that was one of the TikToks. Yes, yes. There was a few that they they left the the footage in, but then also um, just that, like, talking about his speed of working, that uh, it was before Magic Mike's Last Dance filmed that they shot the TikToks for Command Z and then scrapped those, uh, shot Magic Mike, and then filmed Command Z at the same time that they were shooting uh, Full Circle. And then is what editing. A what a man! Uh, so he's he's shooting full circle and Command Z at the same time. That he's also editing Magic Mike's last dance. And uh, well, sure, but and also editing those series. Well, yes, yeah, also like the, the day the they on finish. The way over. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's just um, great. And this is, I think, that. maybe more than the point of like talking about all of these projects individually and just talking about him as a guy. Is people seem to be, and this is maybe me grinding an axe or picking at an argument that's not there, but there's people who feel like they're above Steven Soderbergh and that they're no, just I, like, go ahead. I, I've t- I, don't, I don't think you're completely making this up. I've definitely seen people be like, it's interesting that he's working this way, but it's not actually interesting to watch any of the things. And... Fuck off! You're yeah, wrong. Yeah, I just couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with. Like it's... I, de- you know, there's definitely ones that I like more than others. Like I, you know, as I said, like I thought Kimmy was sort of fine. Sure. I, yes. I think uh, I I felt pretty amb- 
bibbling about Last Dance. There's a lot of stuff I really like, and then I I I I don't know how convinced I was by the whole. Uh, but then like these two are both like I find like extremely uh, just like enjoyable to watch. Both sure, of yes. these full full circle, especially I watched it yeah early incredible through screeners, so I was able to watch them. I watched it over sure. uh, three days, where I watched one episode, then two episodes, then three episodes, and uh, I think I mean it. Like you're saying, if it was one a week, people would I think forget because it is a very like it's typical Soderbergh where it is like dense with stuff, but you you also in the same vein like so much of it is important. Yeah. yeah, it's just right. like it's just chuffa or whatever. He's he, he's yeah. just doing stuff um but and he um and i i i just found that watching it uh back to back you're mm-hmm. able to just you know hone in on so much uh-huh uh, and it is de- definitely those first two episodes that does also feel motivated by those do just take place over the same day like, i guess yeah. the first episode is mostly that day leading Leading up, and then the second episode, the, the night, night yeah. of the, and then the the last two maybe kind of mirror that a little bit, as well. Sure, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is a little interesting. Yeah, it's it's a very compressed timeline in general yeah. for six yes. episodes, I think. Um, but yeah, I yeah, let's talk about yeah, let's talk about full circle, I guess, and and we can get into what it is a little bit, which is like sure. mm-hmm. it is this like, and I and I know they originally were thinking it would be a mosaic app yes. like experience where it would be branching timelines and you would follow like different folks through different things. And like, you can see how they would have wanted uh-huh. to do that with this material yes. because there are many different tiers of stories, many or many different sort of like, like lanes of stories, pillars of stories. Um, and they do like where they intersect is like, not necessarily where you would expect yes. them to. Yeah. And like, wi- there, wi- yeah. like what, and there's like, definitely oh, these characters have a connection. Right. Yeah. Like, there's several of, of those where it's like um, another. Uh, and like, I, I feel like either Solomon or Soderbergh said that like, with Mosaic, the idea was, like, if you do the app, you'll get a little bit of extra stuff, but you do yes, just, like, get everything from seeing the series. And the original idea for this was you have to watch everyone's perspective to actually figure out what the full story of this is. You will not if you just sure. watch the series. Which is interesting, because yeah. there's definitely, like... You get sort of a top-level idea of what was going on watching Full Circle. There's definitely, mm-hmm. like, a lot of details that are missing. Like, basically, what you just sure. get is there's these two families at the center of it, and one of them uh, fucked the other one through their participation in uh, sure. imperialism and uh, right, yeah. economic imperialism and real estate and... Uh, that's yes. why there's being revenge, uh, right. inflicted. Yes. So, right. So it's right. There's, there's, you know, there's all these different layers and all, and all that sort of stuff. It does, it is, um, 
set in, you know, it's in New York, it's in Manhattan for the most part, I guess some of the outer boroughs as well for some of the, uh, some of the other stuff where, uh, mm-hmm. but also Guyana is like huge, uh, hugely important in this. And like the, yes. the, the first and the last episodes feature scenes that seem like they were shot there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and yeah, and it like, it, it really is like, just sort of like, to me, like a trademark, like really enjoyable ride where there's like so much happening you're not necessarily super clear on like what every what everything is how it's all going to tie together or whatever but it is also like primarily for me it is like a real showcase for like four or five like incredible performances yeah it's like that's the thing is it's like plot wise it's just like phenomenal pulp but then yeah absolutely there's like some from the people that you're expected some who are doing more like Mm -hmm very like dramatic scene chewing yeah. and some who are more funnier and then some uh actors who at least one who i was not had not heard of and i thought was really excellent right. that yeah it it is also a great yeah. sort of character you can see how like all of those characters are drawn out as if they were gonna be a lead right mm-hmm. yes and i do like i think like it's hard to play a favorite but i do think my favorite was Daisy beats um, who sure. I think is just like Melody it is Harmony. an incredible performance of right. It's it's a, a, a just a wonderful character of like a uh, a chip on her shoulder postal inspector. Yeah, um, which is just like a lovely like character archetype that like yes. I, like more movies about things yeah. like that. Who has a chip like... on her shoulder, but who also has uh, you realize relatively quickly like very much abused her position of power yes yes and also uh, has like pretty good detective skills well like, and also like, just like it seems like we'll get anyone to tell her anything just by asking right. once yes like the casual nature of which all of that happens throughout the show is so funny and sort of adds to like the farcical nature of all of it in a way where right. she's just We'll and talk the, to someone right, and the, very casually just be like, and then what's this thing that, like, is a very important detail? And then they'll yeah, just, right. like, st- tell her. And she's like, oh, okay. Right. And, like, walks and out. And she's always also, like, drawing, like, three conclusions ahead. Yes, yes. Uh, in these And is correct right. That means, time. well, that, no, it's actually that. And right, like, she so, just, like, like makes people this, think like, she already knows what. Right. So yeah. they just are like, I guess I just may as well tell you because you just know. Yeah. Um... And, you know, also, of course, as I said right after seeing it, wonderful representation for people with braces. Sure. Uh, I, do, I do not think that that fact is ever mentioned. No. Uh, it does I, make sense for the character, I would say. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so she was sort of my standout, but I do like... Jim Gaffigan's. Gaffigan's really strong. It's the classic thing of Soderbergh of casting comedy people to just play. Is Gaffigan in uh, The Informant? He feels like he could be, for sure. It definitely feels like he could be. I don't remember him in. I want to say no. no. Maybe not. Certainly not in a large role if he is. Okay. Um, Um, Yeah. I mean, the... the... Very funny. Yeah. Um... Uh, so, I mean, someone who stood out to me is uh, Faldut Sharma, who yes. I looked up and, like, has mostly only done TV in Britain, a lot of it comedy, and then is, has a voice role in Gravity and also a small role in Children of Men, which is funny that, like, 
I guess Quaron just likes him, and Soderbergh is the first mm-hmm. other uh, international director to be like, oh, yeah, me too, uh, playing Garmin Harry, uh, the yes, sort of yes. second-in-command of uh, CCH Pounder's matriarch, Mrs. Yeah. Mahabir. And CCH Pounder with, like, such presence in every scene and, like, yeah. mm-hmm. feeling, like, the weight of her character in every scene is really mm-hmm. astounding, yeah. even from, like, the beginning. Just, like, right. there, yeah. there, there's a, like... It's really, really strong. Yeah. Uh, and like Dane's doing yeah. Yeah, all really the classic good. Claire Danes things, where yeah. she yeah. like has to like yeah. have her lip quiver through like five different scenes. And, yeah, like, I definitely um, like. I was like, th- there was a point at which I was like, all right, do we really need this from her? And then I, I, I fairly quickly was like, nah, she's really great in this. And then we yeah. can't get too far without talking about, of course. Uh, Chef Jeff. Yep. Jeff. Dennis yep. Quaid with Char- the ponytail. Character of the year. I mean, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis um, Quaid, uh, the the patriarch of this other family, uh, Claire Danes' yeah. father well, and celebrity sto- chef. Most of his storyline was cut, unfortunately. Yes. There right. was a lot. There was young Chef Jeff stuff. Uh, yeah, I didn't well. know it was that. That's funny. Was yes. it, was well, it like someone else, or did stuff. he get I, DA? I think it was just backstory stuff. Oh, okay. I think I they heard just, that like, it was someone else, but I don't remember. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it would definitely make sense that, like, he's kind of the piece of, even though he was kind of, like, you eventually find out, didn't have any idea what was going on at any point. There is clearly, like some stuff that does uh some of this like stuff that remains unclear that seems to kind of revolve around him and uh, why exactly he was involved with this real estate and why it is that it made him his fortune uh that's not necessarily important but is kind of what you're most left being like and what exactly happened yeah um but yeah and i just think like it like also, just great uh, NYU alumni porn. Uh, lots of Washington Square Park action. Where sure, it's like, yes. oh, I know that building. I know that side of the park. Like that, that you know. Yes, they uh, sure. The big, there was the big action uh, in the park. They're at the chess tables, and then yeah. they uh, there's the circle scene, of course. Yeah, yeah there, there was uh, the woman who played uh, the mother of uh, Timothy Oliphant's other child, who. Uh, uh, you find out was kidnapped instead of his child with Claire Danes. She right. not only is an NYU alumni, but while she was at NYU, set the record for the youngest person to win a producing Tony for best play for... Uh, it maybe was Reasons to be Pretty. Uh, some Neil sure. Labute play, I think. Great. Um, that was, that was around when I was at NYU. Sure, maybe um, you, maybe you overlapped. Yeah, we might have overlapped. Maybe we, uh, spent some time in Kimmel together. Um, Whoa. Uh, what was your name? Uh, was he doing mean tweets or? <laughs> no. Um, and then also I would just like to say, I think Soderbergh, having also rewatched a couple of the Oceans movies lately, Soderbergh is our best director of big guys. I think he is so good at, like, casting, like, big guys who are, like, often, like, playing toughs or whatever. Sure. 
and Epping I think Anderson like, and this. there's yeah there's yeah. a couple in he, this. And I, there's you, know, uh, I think you think about Devin Rattray and Kimmy. Devin Rattray and Mosaic. Sure. Is so uh, there's the other um, uh, what's his name who I, I I messaged one of my friends before the last episode and was like I'm not feeling good about this guy and then he does uh, the the guy who works for the bank who they send sure. in. Oh, uh, Daniel with Hunt, the Y. Does a bad job he's, doing. Uh, the, yeah, who's the, uh, the terrible informant? He's um, also he he's worked with James. Ron Cunio is his yes. the character's name. A really yes. funny name too. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I just I think like the way he films and and uses big guys as like yeah. surprising characters and stuff For is like sure. he's the best in the biz at 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 using them. Uh. And as a big guy, I I appreciate <laughs> and respect it. And I just want to shout that out. Sure. Um. Yeah. I mean, there's more, like, fun little roles, like, uh, Alex Winter's in it a little bit. Alex is, Winter uh, is really, really good in it. He's, uh, funny, Oliphant's yeah, lawyer, as, uh, right? as Oliphant's lawyer, yes. Yes, uh, those scenes are some of my sure. It's been a minute since I've watched. being like, what, why are you coming to me with this? Yeah, like, he's like, I don't know. You need to talk to someone who has any uh, idea of what you're, like, you're asking me to make moral decisions for you. I'm a lawyer. Um, yeah. Uh, and I guess uh, William Sadler's in more episodes than he isn't, but as uh, Chef Jeff's brother, uh, yes. estranged brother, Gene. Yeah. Who believes but, that Chef Jeff uh, betrayed him and uh, got him kicked off the police force. Um, yes. But uh, I was I was saying earlier, like, I saw um, Laundromat sort of, like, rip, um, ripples in, bo- in both these most recent projects. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it really is like in the like the wide ranging like geographical yes. sort of story where it's like yes the like the centers of money and power or whatever uh-huh. are, are one thing, and then there's all these places that they're exploiting or whatever, and like they're far like the physical geographical remove of that I think is like it's an interesting thematic space that he's really he's 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 looking to explore mm-hmm. and i think he does so much more successfully in this project than he did in the laundry yes there's a lot um, yes uh-huh. he's that and i think the sort of um you know uh, uh laundromat's obviously like more not anthology but like sp- split and uh you know mm-hmm. r- working in the episodic structure of f- full circle and the the wide ranging sort of uh, narrative structure of it with all the different plot lines. Um, it feels like he's tackling something big as like laundromat, uh, definitely misses all of its swings, but they are big swings. Right. Uh-huh. And, right. uh, and I, it, it just lands a lot better here. Uh-huh. It, it feels a lot more thought out and, uh, respectful in certain ways. And then also just, uh, I don't I, I stepped away for a moment, so I don't know if I can mention already. It looks so good. The work that For he's sure. doing visually, really cool. uh, and 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 Magic Mike's Sick. Last Dance uh, as well, and then um, back on iPhone and Command Z, uh, it, it, yeah. it, it all just looks incredible. And you think about like how good Behind the Candelabra looks, and like how good I mean it, any of the movies that he shoots look are, are incredible looking. I mean Magic Mike XXL is one of the best looking movies ever made, and it's just like to have a director who is also one of the best working cinematographers and also uh-huh. uh, keeping pace with the momentum of uh, film technology while also uh, maintaining integrity around it as 
film technology becomes something mm-hmm. more evil nowadays. <laughs> and sure. like as he what he's doing is like forwarding the medium in an interesting way. Uh-huh. And I think like you think about a director like from his class of directors of like whenever he won the Palme d'Or for Sex Lies and then like uh-huh. a, f- a few some odd later uh, some odd years later you have Tarantino winning for Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. and like the Coen Brothers winning Coen the Brothers. Yes, exactly. And like Coen Brothers and they, uh, when we talked about uh, Man Who Wasn't There earlier this year, uh, I, I felt I felt like we sort of uh, got to say a piece on sort of how, yeah, experimental and in, in their own way they they feel still. And like certainly, uh, you can continue to listen to to the White Sea with uh, exactly. Rachel Tory and Jordan Fish, who we talked to, and they're doing you know, uh, if if you like thinking about the Cohen Brothers, sure. they've continued to do it since then. But yeah, uh, just that um, like what what he's doing to stay relevant and that yeah. that people continue to reject it is just so insane to me. It's like, uh, like you mentioned, just like success, successful or not, there's you have to respect the the effort <laughs> and, yeah and, and, it's and, just I, like... and it is I, yeah i i haven't you're right that like he is one of our best cinematographers and i wonder like he did it for gregory jacobs with magic mike mexicel i do wonder like if one of his peers was like hey would sure. you shoot this movie for me uh if you would do it yeah, that'd be, uh, yeah if it's a matter of that's not something that he's interested in or it's not something anyone has thought to ask Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he. I guess he. He has a very specific work method. Yes. That it sure. might be difficult for him to like. That's that's be quite under possibly. Yeah. yeah. And maybe uh, uh, other than like someone who like yeah has has the history of working with him and yeah and like that work working with Jacobs is, uh, seems right. much more yeah, like a exactly. uh, collaborative effort. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, just someone who is in on that method already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. um and I mean, also just like his commitment to like all these like the like the mid level of of movies, yeah. like yes. it's like really like you know entertaining yeah. movies with like great performances in yes. them that are yeah like he's um, just like spent the last five years being like how many of these can I draw out of what has now been like three different iterations of yes. HBO in that time yeah you right. think about like what let them all talk came out on and versus what it, uh, it right that was like on. the first HBO Max yeah. original I think right, movie yeah, or uh-huh. one of the very first yeah. uh yeah, I mean, go- going back to your laundromat thing, even not having seen that, I can see how, like, they're kind of going in different directions of, like, I feel like my impression is that the the uh, some of the issues with uh, the laundromat had to do with just, like, the didacticism and just people being like, shut up, this isn't working, and uh, full circle, not making that mistake, and then... Command Z just doing the exact opposite thing of just, like, how far can I push political didacticism of, like, it's not only the most politically didactic movie he's made, it's, like, the most politically didactic movie anyone has made or will made in, like, a period of 20 years, probably. It is an explicitly, like... Yeah, it is. It is a it is a, a, a yes. project with issues that it takes yeah. stands. Yeah, on. it's like, like a, and, and like, and is also and, trying to be like these are the things that you should that people should do. Yes, 
And I think, like, that was the laundromat connection I was making. It was, like, that movie, like, it gets, like, agit-proppy. Uh-huh. Where, like, Meryl Streep is, like, speaking direct to right. camera. yeah. Like, yes. imploring us to, like, take action or whatever. Uh-huh. And, like, yes. it, which is something I appreciate in theory, but I don't think works. And I don't feel like the movie believes no. in it at all. No, it's so... Um, uh-huh. It's so unfounded it feels very in the context of the movie. It. It's just like yeah. there for there to be there. And also, yeah. like you have all these famous actors, some of whom are like pretty close to these things that were happening. That sure. I think maybe which the gets movie mentioned. does yeah. call out that like Soderbergh has one of these organizations or whatever. Sure. Um. Uh. We probably should move away from talking about the laundromat so much. But um, <laughs> sure. But yeah. Again, a movie I, I never saw. Right. I mean, right to get into Command Z a, a little bit. Yeah, that is. What is interesting to me about it so far is like you know it 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 is it has like an enjoyable like Michael Sarah deadpan performance. Yep. It has Michael like, Sarah is really good. Yeah, yeah all great. these like really like funny silly elements. Yeah, the... I really yeah I enjoy Roy Wood a lot Junior a lot as a performer. Yes. Yeah the uh, the theme song from Mahogany Runner is really um, funny. I love like, uh, you know it. it it, it ends up being this 90-minute thing, you know, whether it's a movie, yeah. not a discussion. I'm sure. Trying it's to very, you know, it invite. is very episodic. Yes, that is what I what I uh, really enjoyed about it was how sort of episodic and how specifically, like, sitcom-y it is with the uh, uh-huh. the runner yeah. of Michael Sarah trying out a new introduction yes. every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the runner the, of... The uh, one character, like, showing up late every yeah. time. Yes, mm-hmm. the late... Like, it's, it's, being, it, like, Finding very, out the yeah, which, which the, the other two of those stuff. leads I thought were really good as well, uh, mm-hmm. who are even less established than Roy yes. Wood Jr. It's um, uh, Chloe Radcliffe and uh, who also uh, JJ wrote Mealy. the episodes. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, several other people involved because Roy Wood Jr. wrote one as well, the uh, the social media one, which was maybe the one where I most started rolling my eyes. Which one's the social media one again? <laughs> it's like the like it's metaverse pretty, thing of like they there was a war in the metaverse oh, that turned one, one. into a real war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one was funny. I thought it's um, silly. It's like it's, the point at yeah. which I'm the most like what what are you actually you know if your goal sure. is to like what are you actually talking about here? But it very much is like I I, I very much identify with the just like. Especially for someone like him who has uh, spent a lot of time working within very commercial systems, being like, what can my role as an artist be? Is there a way for me to, like, make a difference? And, like, you can absolutely, like, palpably feel him being like, this is not that it necessarily will be his last try or that it will always be my best try, but him just being like, this is the best I can do right now. Yeah. Uh, and like really kind of desperately like hoping to make some sort of yeah and, it, and, it, it, and that, this that one it, it it feels very sincere to me yes, it does not absolutely. feel cynical uh and and like especially like where like it sometimes is taking on like controversial like for it's even for its intended audience topics where right, it's like, like the, the, nuclear the nuclear power energy is, stuff i certainly is, saw people get mad about that yeah, which like it, I I don't know 
precisely what my position on all that is. Yes. Uh, I don't feel qualified to speak intelligently about it. But I do think it's very interesting, like, how strongly and passionately it makes its case for yes. something like that that, like, would clearly be controversial for the people who are likely yes. to tune into it. And yeah, um, like, for sure that episode, I'm like, I don't know a lot about nuclear power. They make a lot of points in that episode that seem convincing, and I know I've also been convinced in the other direction before. Yeah. Mm. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, th- there is certainly stuff that kind of feels more straightforward and is just more being like, come on, please, uh, we gotta do something about this with the, yeah, the, the, like, lot of the economic <laughs> stuff and, yeah. Uh, right. there's the great, uh, Leo Schreiber episode with his dog. Yes. yes. Um, where they, uh, you know, it's all shot on iPhones, so the camera's always in a crazy spot. And it's just right up against uh, Liam Schreiber's face as he thinks that... Because, I mean, we haven't really said <laughs> right, the premise. The premise. Right. Which is that, what, they're, they're going... In the future. Yeah. Yes. The, there's three people who have been selected by half of the yes. consciousness AI uh, version of a billionaire who has his physical body died on a trip to Mars. Yes. Um, Played by Michael Sarah. Yes, yes. Michael Sarah, who's yes. only, as through, at least through the seven episodes I've seen, you only ever see his head, yes. uh, including one time, a very funny where he's getting an update and you just see like yes. a weird, glitchy uh-huh. still yes. of his face. Yeah. Yes. Uh, while it's updating. Um, and so the, there's three people who work for him who have been selected to, essentially like consciousness travel yeah, he's time. They, he's been involved in developing this extremely yeah. convoluted time travel there's, thing that right, involves a, a wormhole wa- uh, yeah a wormhole in a washing machine where yeah. you you can your physical body cannot time travel but you can travel into another person's like My. into their head and you can influence them right. yeah. and influence them you. sometimes you can like control them like it, it's yeah. very loosey it's definite that, there's I like it like. seems like different people are different levels of influenceable yeah. and like some um, yeah but, sometimes it's more like it's explained like you are equal to their internal monologue and sometimes it uh, it maybe is just like that level of control allows them to mostly just talk for them yeah yeah uh, but it, so they're time traveling to 2023, yes. which the, the 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 show makes a claim is the last inflection point where we had our last yes. opportunity to like save the planet. Yes, which um, I think the the book that uh, his co-writer had written that sort of inspired it that he he had read the book and was asking him about uh, if they might be able to collaborate is about like others of those sorts of inflection points that the writer perceives historically i think is sure. my impression yeah um but yeah basically you know the first episode's like establishing what this is and then the rest of them are mostly like someone consciousness travels into someone to try to influence them to yeah make a change for good and they yeah you know, they always get like a percentage Improvement, yes. <laughs> right? At the it's end always, of every episode, yeah, very minuscule, yeah, point one four, or whatever. Yes, yeah. There's, you know, the other funny bit of the time travel is that the Sarah starts saying that, like, oh, it's really convenient that 
this is the time we're trying to go to because the global pandemic allowed us a really convenient way to uh, get these receptors into people that a huge majority of people will have them. And they're like, so you're saying that there was something in the vaccines? And he goes, oh, no, 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 it's in the hand sanitizer. Yeah. Uh, really funny. But yeah, they you know that becomes the kind of like oh wait that person would have used hand sanitizer so we can influence that person, which is where the the maybe the the sort of funniest execution of the idea with the Leah Schreiber is that first they're like oh clearly the only person he care or the only thing he cares about is this dog, can we control the dog and that like doesn't really work and then they're like oh wait he's petting the dog all the time he's got the hand sanitizer too uh and so they go into his head and convince him that the dog is talking to him yeah and it's very Um, a very committed performance by striver yes absolutely a guy that believes his dog is talking to him and it is (laughs) yeah so funny yeah Yeah. and then there's like like, like, a bunch of alts at one point towards the end like him just listing stuff or whatever yeah yeah yes talking about that they they shouldn't have sex or something (laughs) yeah yeah there's like another one of the sort of running structural things is that uh, there's another uh, voice uh, that's more computery that will like tell them what effect they had. And part of it is that he just mostly, you know, he made some positive impact, but mostly committed the rest of his life to trying to get the dog to talk again. <laughs> yes, that they drove him crazy is very funny. Um, um, but, and then, I mean, but yeah, uh, but it did. Uh, Another running bit is just the sort of, um, in lieu of end credits, it's always a recommendation of, like, yes. for more information on, go to this. Right, and, it was and like then the it's, end. like, three Hollywood movies. Right, there'll be one that's, like, kind of serious, and then, like, Ice Age and the Meltdown. Well, yeah, so right. it was, like, yeah. for more information on global warming, uh, right. watch An Inconvenient Truth, or Ice Age and the Meltdown, and, like, some other thing. Right, or The yeah. Day After Tomorrow. The Day After Tomorrow, the yes, of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, and then uh-huh. they're, they're all, all of those are always uh, very interesting, very funny. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it is, like, it's funny to see him do this sort of, like... Think like one of the most clearly like I'm trying to do something things he's done in a while, but also like put it out in this way, yeah. Where it is like right. probably not going to reach a huge audience. It's not going like, to reach a huge audience, but is like he is in some ways putting his money where his mouth is. Of like right. I can't do this, why? You know, like I don't, I don't know that right. the reason that Netflix that uh, the laundromat didn't work is that it's connected to Netflix, but him realizing like I can't do something like this and be connected to and have it be connected to a major corporation you know even if there wouldn't be like notes it's just like it inherently is gonna ring kind of false if it exists to make money for the people that yeah. it's about yeah and i think um i you know uh mentioned earlier that he abandoned the tiktok iteration of command z feeling uh-huh. that he didn't have uh the proper you know, language and it didn't feel appropriate uh, in its own way. I do think one thing that I've noticed or that I just keep thinking about as I watch these three specific um, Soderbergh's uh, in in Last Dance in 
uh, I think that they, I, I, I pointed out on Letterboxd um, that they, the way that people use their phones in that movie feels very truthful to me. And, and it is just like, mm-hmm. he nails something about that. He nails something about the way that these specific people, uh, specific, like uh, the Oliphant and Claire Danes, like the way that they use technology in full circle is very funny. And just like how they rely on it and like what specifics uh, are used in it. Uh, I, I feel like he uh, doesn't give himself enough credit maybe in that regard that it's like, I think he is one of, uh, we, we talked about, um, when we talked about showing up, uh, I, I believe our guest, uh, Fran Hofner pointed out the, that people like to complain that directors don't make things, uh, about the modern world anymore. And projects, like, yeah. uh-huh. uh, that they're, they're all stuck in, in, in period projects. And like, Soderbergh is a guy who is, I think, established yeah. enough a filmmaker at this point, you know, multiple Oscars under his belt. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, most, uh, yeah, at least for sure that's an interesting thing. And that he, uh, like, I asked Ashley McKenzie about that when I talked to her uh, about Queens of the Qing Dynasty. That's mm-hmm. a movie that, like, is from a much younger filmmaker, but is, sure. like, a very, like, formally uh, exciting, like, but also, like, very of our time movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, well, yeah, I mean, when you started talking about uh, phones, another thing is, uh, I think I, I haven't heard much about it. Hopefully, it will start popping up in these other fall festivals. But I know the Human Surge three premiered today at Locarno, uh, and the Human Surge one I watched recently, and that is maybe like the best like movie about uh, our relationship with like screens and the internet uh the like first like 30 minutes of that movie is just like a guy walking around uh staring at his phone trying to find somewhere that will have internet yeah uh and then yeah that that is a i'm very curious to see what this new one is because that's like a crazy movie where like the the next 30 minutes of it uh basically takes place on a zoomed in chatterbait window um but yeah um i do want to mention so so soderbergh has been sort of doing the rounds specifically for command z uh-huh uh doing a lot of press he, he, his interview specifically in defector i think is like right. really fantastic it's like a really great read he's got like he's such an interesting guy he yeah. like yeah they I mean... ask him about like what he thinks about ai and like he has a little bit of a different perspective on like what the dangers are there. For sure. I have, I'll for Um, sure. I haven't read that yet. He's one of the people who I'm like, yeah, I can see him having something interesting to say about that as opposed to Um, almost anyone else. Right. And like, yeah, he talks about like, yeah, why the types of movies he's trying to make and, Mm -hmm. and why he like talks a lot about how much he values comedy, uh, Mm -hmm. just as like a, as a tool, um uh which i think is like such an interesting interesting perspective to take on it like i think uh-huh. he's just like i love i love a long form steven soderbergh interview i think he like really is a thoughtful and interesting pers- like guy who always like has has something that i worth thinking about uh to say about a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. um and like and and i feel like knows himself really well too like uh-huh. he like he like i feel like we've been talking about that but like he really knows like what he's yeah. good at, what his strengths are, all that sort of stuff, and yes. like, like ha- n- knowing those limitations, but working within them, I think like he is re- like he's really able to play to his strengths yeah. all the time. Um, do, is there more specific stuff we want to say about Command Z? Do we want to talk about Last Dance a bit? I um, 
We, I mean, or I, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't feel like I have too much to say about. No, it. I think it's uh, very. We probably good. talked I, about I it a little at the time. Yeah, maybe I haven't seen it since later then. on in the year. You know, as we do our awards. Sure. Um, yeah, maybe there'll be an excuse to take another look at it. Um, I think it's. I think. Uh, I've been thinking about rewatching it honestly because I was uh, hearing people talk about it recently, and I just was reminded of how good a time I had watching it, and I, I think it's. You know, obviously, very different than uh, the other two Magic Mikes. Yeah, they're all my singular. my memory is basically like going through the whole thing, being like, "Oh, this is really cool. I love what he's doing and the ways in which it's different." And then getting that final performance and being like, "Ah, this doesn't really move me." And it's a bit of a a buzzkill that like this is what it's been leading to, as opposed to. Obviously, the last movie nails that so hard in a way that, like, didn't make me dislike it, but just was like, all right, this is good. It's not great. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, yeah, very, very solid. Very good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Tatum, I think, is incredible. And, um, yeah. Hayek, Hayek I think they've got great chemistry. Yeah. yeah. The, the daughter's great. Yeah. Yep. It's about great. on par the with the first one for me. I don't, I don't like the second one very much. So, yeah, I love the second one, but, uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean yeah, it's also I, about on par with the first. Uh, you know, sure, it, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm glad he's back out there. I you know, very curious what these other two projects that yeah, he's we'll like has in the hopper make like something when else he'll be allowed year. to work on them. Obviously, because of I guess the, uh, yes, of the, the strikes. strikes. Um, uh, but like I imagine, as soon as that's resolved, he'll be like, "All right, let's we're shooting on yep. Monday, like whatever." <laughs> Um, he, especially if he, yeah, he's able to keep pulling like the actors of this caliber and, and yeah. cast them in interesting ways and stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, I wonder, he's obviously not seeing a profit from Comanche because it's going to foundations. It's, yeah. It's, it's, right. it's, it's, I think it's he was terrible. just like, oh, there's no way anyway that I'm going to, that this Put is going to make money. I, I mean, yeah, it also, like, it doesn't look expensive. No, 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 sure. But I mean, like, yeah, right. that's, that but being like, how he you know, works, I it looks, assume it, he's it's like, is, you know, a lot, a lot of just like the cost of making a movie is just like paying the people who work for you, and yes. then you look at the credits, sure. and there's not the same lit length of list of people as there is sure. in either of the a other of the things. But like, there's a lot of people yeah. in the credits of that still. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I just I wonder how um, fruitful a model this would be for him as a guy who famously. Right, he about does the like to play around with models of uh-huh. uh, release and all that. Yeah, he right. famously yeah. had his his struggle with Logan Lucky, where he tried to do like a a, a road tour where they were promoting it in a bus and uh, right. right. Well, Logan Lucky and Unsane were both like he is like leading the distribution plan. Right, it was like he was partnering release. with Bleecker Street, but it was right. mostly him, and, and there was, was like, like his. He had lots of ideas about like when you target and where you target the advertising and that sort of thing. Uh huh. Um, and when it and w- when it goes digital, which that you know that might have been somewhat ahead of his time. Sure. Yes. But he where... like and it, yeah, the, the defector interview I mentioned, he talks about that a little bit. And it's like yeah, those were failures. Uh huh. Like, like yeah. I, I learned a lot that like that doesn't work. Yeah, and there's um, a reason. Why, yeah, that's the reason why he didn't have a movie play in theaters until Magic Mike's right. Last Dance. And then, right. And, and if that's that like when and, he you know the almost. Most might have just, and... yeah, not still not since then. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Fascinating guy. 
in, on, on yes, so many things. Yes, of course. Um, yep. Do we uh, want to go to special presentations? I suppose so. All right, I can just go first because we, uh, we we mentioned a thing that uh, I saw last night before we started recording uh, that we've talked about some because I know uh, around this time last year while I was out of town, you all did an episode on uh, Love and Mercy mm-hmm. uh, because Bill Poled's new film uh, Dreamin' Wild was going to premiere at Venice. Uh, it didn't play around much uh after that but is now receive uh it's now just getting a regular see it uh is it i think it's open roadside attractions maybe it's one of those like oh yeah you hear them around anywhere every once in a while maybe once a thing and like like, like, sure and it's like if you like me have a theater with 20 screens near you there's a good chance that like it like just like a regular amc there's a good chance they'll be like we gotta show something that's a a company we have a relationship with as opposed to like more explicitly specialty distributors that uh just have to like find art houses but yeah it uh uh, I, I, there's no, like, why didn't, isn't this movie getting attention? Why aren't people talking about how great it is? Like, it stars Casey Affleck, and they decided to make a movie with Casey Affleck. Uh, and, uh, I'm not gonna tell anyone who doesn't want to go see that to go see it. Uh, but I do think it's really, really good. Uh, he is, ve- you know, it's very much like, uh... I mean, it's an interesting character in that, like, there's no, like, uh, clear traumatic event, but it is, like, a very Manchester-by-the-sea performance. But the weird thing is that, like, uh, you know, the the premise is about this guy, Donnie Emerson, who had made uh, an album with his brother uh, when they were teenagers that uh, no one you know like that that his dad put a ton of money into because he believed in him in them uh and it didn't go anywhere and then you know in that time his brother uh you know was just never as serious about music and so his brother just like goes off and lives a normal life and he continues to try to succeed in music and uh, when the movie starts, is running a unsuccessful recording studio and plays in a band around town with his wife. Uh, they they grew up in Seattle and uh, on a farm, and that he he's in a slightly more urban area. Uh, and the, it kind of gets. I think the the thing that people know about this story that kind of gets glossed over is that the first thing that happened is like some record collector found this album and it started going viral online. But because like none of the people in the movie are online, it like that is briefly mentioned that that's the impetus. But, uh, this record executive, someone sends it to him who like specifically does reissues of things that never got any sort of attention uh, and it does really well. And the weird, the weird thing about it is that it's just this bizarre character 
thing that he's going through of like the conflict of the movie is that like this thing that is happening is like clearly good and everyone else is really excited about it his brother's really excited about it his dad's really excited about it and he just like cannot be just like feels just like continually feels awful about it and it's partially because of having moved on and partially because of the sort of chip on his shoulder he's had about having made this thing that initially he thought was really good and then kind of like feeling like uh, maybe that wasn't it just like he kind of goes through this whole movie in this like pseudo Manchester by the sea like mumbling around like not being able to deal with people and uh it it as much as that is sort of like a weird uh character drama thing like it really really worked for me uh and the racial relationships that it does develop with his brother uh who's Walton Goggins, who who had been on the record with him, and his father, who's Bo Bridges, uh, are really good. And it does kind of, like, end in a, like, he has these big moments with the two of them that are, like, very, you know, those are played more traditionally. Uh, but by that point, I'm bought in enough that I was really moved by them. Uh, and it, it, it the... Um, Noah Jupe and Jack Dylan Grazer, I know we talked about as being in it, and they do play the the younger versions, and they have scenes, but I feel like it's a lot less material than like Paul Dano had. Sure. Uh, like, like I feel like that movie was more Dano than Cusack, and like this is both more in the direction of Affleck, but then also just like even more lopsided than that is, uh, which is like. Uh, I feel like Grazer's better, Jupe is, like, fine, and it is just, like, weird that it's name kid actors, because it is, like, borderline, just, like, flashbacks, it could have been whoever, so it doesn't, you know, it's maybe nice to have one of them giving a compelling performance, and then doesn't really matter that I'm much less compelled by one of them. But yeah, I just thought it was great, and, uh, yeah, uh... If you are interested and had the opportunity to see it and are just like, I don't know if this is going to be good, I haven't heard anything about it, uh, I would highly recommend checking it out, and I'm sure there will be ways to see it without uh, contributing money uh, in the near future. I'm sure it's not going to have a robust theatrical run. I forget if it was platforming or if... Uh, I, it just opened everywhere that it's going to open, uh, this past weekend, but yeah. Great. Andy? Uh, sure, I'll just do a quick recommendation for a podcast episode I listened to from another, another podcast recommendation for a podcast I don't usually listen to, wow. uh, but the podcast, uh, Good One, uh, Jesse David Fox's oh, uh, yeah. podcast about jokes, uh, from Vulture, uh, this week's episode was with Paul F. Tompkins. Uh, and it's like a wide ranging two and a half hour sort of conversation. Specifically, the you know the premise of that is the comedian picks one of their jokes and they like mm-hmm. have an in depth interview about it, and then like that leads to more conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the joke that he does is uh, Paul F. Tompkins' peanut brittle bit, 
um which is really really good um where he just goes on about the uh, the 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 prank cans of peanut br- brittle um with with snakes in them for like eight minutes uh it's a very good bit uh but it's a really great conversation i think paul F. Tompkins is like very thoughtful and smart about mm-hmm. the yeah. way he talks about comedy and the way his approach to comedy has changed he's very open to like granting the premise of an interviewer uh which i find is not necessarily always the case with comedians <laughs> sure um, where they're like was this, this what you're trying to do with this or were you working there? and he's like absolutely 100 percent or whatever uh which i feel like a lot of the times comedians are like no i'm just trying to be funny or whatever and like can't speak thoughtfully about their comedy um but paul Tompkins, i think is is one of the ones who's able to do so and i recommend uh checking that episode out great cool. i will plug Isaac Toops's recipe for gumbo, which you can find a video on Munchies. I don't know. I guess Vice is canceled. Maybe not <laughs> Munchies, but I mean, it's a, a chicken and sausage gumbo recipe. I've been making it for uh, so long now, probably close to over five years, and I made it today as we're recording this, and it's the best I've ever made it. It's so good. <laughs> I love gumbo so much, especially as a person with a shellfish allergy. It's great to get to eat a shellfish dominant cuisine like Cajun food that has no shellfish in it and is delicious and features and highlights what's great about that cuisine. And that's my plug. <laughs> you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Can I Kick It on Letterboxd and Instagram at CIKI Pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Can I Tick It and on YouTube at Can I Kick It Pod. Um, if you, search, if you just can search I "Can I Kick it, it, yeah, yeah, you'll find we'll it. We'll come yeah. up. We're, we're um, posting episodes on there. Uh, yep. Amelia's putting together nice stills. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. And uh, and then uh, uh, if you want to email us anything, do that at Can I Kick It Pod at Gmail or Can I Kick It at Gmail dot com. Is it Can I Kick It Pod at Gmail dot com? Yes, of yep. course. <laughs> and uh, we are on you coffee. Can tell how... Any any timeline <laughs> questions again to Andy T. Yes. Yep. Gmail dot com. Um, uh, <laughs> Our um, our coffee. If you would like to donate any money towards us, there as it's festival season, and we always like to push mm-hmm. for donations at a time like this. The uh, Make as... Andy See a Harmony Corinne movie <laughs> challenge. Still sure, intense. yeah, a no, thousand no dollars yet. You know, same offer goes for me. If you give me a thousand dollars, I'll go see that movie. Um, <laughs> and that is at ko ficom slash canicannesi. Our theme song is by True Related, who's on Spotify and SoundCloud at True Related. I'm on Twitter at Clatchley. Andy's Andy T. Germ. Jesse is JCP. Glick Weber. And with that, I will release our audience and us. Bye. Bye.